Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. It's not talking about Netflix or Hulu or, and we're good at that. He says, you should meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Here's the thing. Whatever you are meditating on, you are doing. (laughs) He says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Verse 9, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Is there anybody in the room today thankful for that promise that he has promised that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us? Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that over these next moments you would speak clearly to us thank you for what you are already doing in our hearts we pray today that our eyes would see what you want us to see our hearts would hear what you want us to hear and we would respond how you desire we would respond in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen Amen. I talked to you a little bit last week about the idea that being Godly is not just about being moral. Um, it's not just about being good. Um, for instance, when the Bible gives us the challenge, be holy, even as I am holy, we, we need to properly understand the word holy. The word holy does not necessarily mean moral. The word holy means set apart. Uh, set apart for specific use. And if you're not careful, you will think that Christianity only consists of trying to not do bad things. You won't realize that you haven't been just freed from sin, but you have been freed unto Christ. It's not about a list of things you can't do. It's about the things that Christ has set you free to do with your life. Is there anybody thankful today that I'm not trying to fulfill some list of don'ts? I'm trying to be who he's freed me to be. So we talked about this. We talked about how when we do it God's way, we're not doing it God's way just because it's right. We do it God's way because it's better. It's a better option than what the world has to offer. It's not just theological. It's logical. It makes sense. The Bible makes sense. As a believer, we don't have to separate our minds from our Christianity. As a matter of fact, Christians should be the most thinking group of people on planet Earth. We have been designed by a God who has thoughts that are high above ours, ways that are high above ours. And the Bible tells us that we can actually put on the mind of Christ. That means I don't have to be limited to worldly thinking. I can think on a different level than everybody else. I'm grateful for that. So in my life, I need more than just like inspiring messages and inspirational speeches. I need transformation, right? 
So in order for my life to be transformed, I don't need just more inspiration. I need to learn how to properly, properly interpret what the Bible is saying. It's not enough to read your Bible. You must study it and study it until you understand it. Remember, he told Timothy, he said, study to show thyself approved. This is why he told Joshua, meditate on it day and night. Why is this important? Because God's word, God's commands, God's way is not really for God. It's for us. It's not for his benefit, it's for our benefit. Every command and every word that he gives us is for our joy. It actually makes our life better. God is not trying to take anything from you. He's actually trying to give something to you. The Bible is just revealing all of the inferior things that we put our hope in, our confidence in, our lives in, and trying to show us that there is a better way. I, I just came to tell you this morning, this book is not a book of commands and words that are trying to hold you back. This is a book full of words and commands that are trying to set you free. Trying to set you free. All of God's instruction is for your advancement. He said, I want you to meditate on it, not because I'm trying to restrict you, not because I'm trying to make you stop doing bad stuff. He said, I want you to meditate on it because I want to make your journey successful. That's what he means when he says, I want to make your way prosperous. I want to make your journey successful. I want to give you good success. I want you to have a good life, a good life. Remember, I told you holy is not just about being more holy is about being set apart for specific use and you limit your life and I limit mine when all I'm trying to do is stop sinning. <laughs> it's time for you and I to start succeeding. Come on, man. I know you're feeling that this morning. I know, I know you don't want to get excited because you're a little nervous about what your neighbor might say. And, you know, it's a little warm in here this morning. The air conditioning doesn't work as good in June as it did in April. And you don't want to move around too much. And you don't want to use too much energy because a little sweat might start dripping from your head. And you might mess up your outfit. But I'm telling you this morning, I don't want to just survive this life. I don't want to just stumble through this life. I want to have good success, godly success in this life. Sin itself is really an inaccurate response to a legitimate need. The Bible says that sin means to miss the mark. Sin isn't just you did something bad. Sin means you missed the mark. Sin means that you had a legitimate need but you filled that need an illegitimate and inaccurate way. Doesn't make you worse than everybody else. It just means you're thinking different about it 
than people who aren't doing it. And your proclivities, the things that you are tempted by, are not the same things that I'm tempted by. So that's why I just feel like we should just get rid of all judgment in church because somebody might be struggling with sexual sin and you might be struggling with gossip. And the Bible says gossip is an abomination. So I, I just don't think any of us have the right to sit here in judgment over anybody's sin. I think we should just be grateful that the God who could judge us chose not to judge us and has given us his mercy. Come on, somebody. I think some grateful people ought to put their hands together and say, God, thank you that when you could have judged me, you didn't judge me. But you were slow in anger and you were quick in mercy. So sin is just an inaccurate response to a legitimate need. This is why I think one of the most powerful gifts that we have, that we are given by the Spirit of God, is the ability to discern. I think discernment is so necessary in the day we live in. Because <laughs> you can hear today one thing that somebody says is gospel, and then the next day you realize they just had bad information, and that wasn't true at all. And, and, and we're living our lives just bad information, bad teaching, bad instruction. So we need to be able to discern bad instructors, <laughs> bad teaching. And I think that it's the Bible talked about these sons of Issachar in the Old Testament. Said that they, they, they had the spirit of the Lord on them and they were able to discern the times that they were living in. They could, they could read the seasons. They could, they could tell what was happening in the earth and why it was happening in the earth and what that and, and what they were able to do is they were literally able to predict patterns. They were able to look at a situation and and not necessarily judge it, but predict based on a pattern that they saw. That's what discernment is. Discernment is the ability to recognize a pattern. Discernment protects you and I because it gives you the ability to predict based on a pattern. <laughs> and this is important. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 16. He said, he said about false prophets. He said, you will know them by their fruit. Remember last week I told you, I'm not judging you. I'm just... I'm just accurately interpreting your fruit. Your fruit is a predictor of the pattern that's going to keep happening in your life. You can say, you can say I'm not this, but if you keep producing fruit that says you are that, your intention doesn't matter, your patterns do. Your, your, uh, uh, your possibility isn't the thing that's determining your life and the outcomes of your life. Your patterns are. Your potential 
isn't determining your outcomes. Your patterns are. Is that, am I making sense to somebody? So Jesus says you'll be able to know who they are by their fruit. And some of us are failing in life and not experiencing good success because we don't have the discernment to look at that fruit and say, that's not good for me. It's not healthy for me. Second Corinthians chapter two. Paul writes and he says this, he says he's talking about forgiveness and he says, I want you to forgive. I, I, I don't want you to hold that against that person because I don't want the people in your life to be trapped in their sorrow. Isn't it wild how the church can be responsible for people being trapped in their sorrow? Because we won't forgive. We hold people's past against them. And he goes, he goes like this. He says, and I want you to forgive because I need you to be aware of Satan's schemes. He says, I don't want Satan to outwit us. I don't want Satan to outthink us. I don't want Satan to have a better strategy than us. He says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Ephesians 6 and 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the plans of the devil. And this is what I want to help you do today. I want to help you recognize a pattern that the enemy is using to rob you of the good that is in your life. He's predictable. He's been doing the same thing since the beginning. In Genesis, the devil did not destroy Adam and Eve's lives. The devil made Adam and Eve believe a lie that made them destroy their lives. See, he never has the physical power to come and destroy your life as a believer. I just sin and darkness, they cannot live in the same space. Light and darkness is what the Bible says. So I believe if you are if you are saved, then you are filled with Jesus, his spirit, you are full of light. Darkness cannot dwell in that body. I don't believe believers can be possessed by the devil. And I know you've been watching a lot of videos on YouTube where people are throwing up in buckets and convulsing and they say they're believers. These people are not believers. All right, somebody. You need discernment because you believe every YouTube video you watch. The devil did not destroy Adam and Eve. The devil didn't destroy Moses. The devil didn't destroy anyone. You're like, well, what about Job? Uh, Job's own fears brought that destruction in his life. In Job 3 and 25, Job says, the thing I feared the most has happened to me. His own fear invited that. Okay. So what he did, what did he do? He talked them into doing it themselves. His power is influence. The Bible calls him a liar, the father of lies. 
He's a deceiver. So let me let me help you just a little bit with this. So here's how the the enemy works. And I want to I want to talk you through this. I don't want to. I don't want to holler and scream, but I probably will. Because I don't know any other way. But but I really want to help you. So I need you to hear me. I don't I don't want you to get caught up in uh, my emotion or even your emotion watching me being emotional. Um, I, I really want you to write this down. And I, I feel like a lot of times my wife tells me this a lot. She says, Robbie, I get caught so caught up sometimes in your emotion. I forget I get to the end of the service and I can't remember what you said because I got so caught up that I wasn't able to write it down. I was trying to write it down, but you moved at such a pace I was unable to. <laughs> Sounds like a couple people have the same problem <laughs> with me that Monica has with me. This is this is how he begins. He begins with dissatisfaction. In in Genesis, when when Adam uh, was created and then the Bible says that he was alone and God looked at Adam and said there isn't a suitable helper for him. It's not good that man be alone. So he created Eve and they were together and they were in union. And then all of a sudden the the enemy who hated the power of what was happening in the garden comes to them and he starts to tempt them. Dissatisfaction is one, one scholar I heard years ago when I was in Bible school, I heard this idea that, that the first sin in the garden was actually the sin of, of being convinced that we lack something. So, so the idea that the devil planted in their head was that they, they didn't have the one thing they needed to make them happy. And so for us, the idea is that what the enemy does is he causes a, a discontent, a dissatisfaction, a frustration to hit our lives that makes us forget all of the things that God has done for us and focus on the one thing that God says we cannot have. Okay. So this is a focus on what you do not have In Mark chapter 8, verse 17, the disciples are arguing over the fact that they don't have any bread. And Jesus looks at them and he says, why do you argue over the bread? Are you, do you not understand what's happening to you? Are you, still, are, you still, are you still lacking in your understanding? Jesus is literally saying to them, why does your thought process begin with what you don't have? Why does your, why do when you start to think about your life, why do you start to think about the things that you are missing or you perceive you are missing or the things that you think if you would have that, then that would make you happy. And the enemy is trying to convince you that God doesn't want you to have it. And God is trying to tell you it's not going to do for you what you think it's going to do for you. (laughs) It's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you. You think that it's going to lead to life, but it actually leads to death. You think it's going to lead to revelation, but it actually leads to confusion and chaos and separation. And so the devil's like, hey, you know, if, if I don't really have to take their life, I just need to make them hate their life. 
I don't have the power to stick my hand over their face and hold their breath until they can't breathe anymore. But I can smother them with dissatisfaction. And I can make them look at the blessed life that they have and think that they are missing out on what they are supposed to have because they, for some reason they have lost sight of this entire garden full of God's benefits and God's blessing. And they are focusing on the one thing that God said that is not for you. So from Adam and Eve to the prodigal, to the older brother of the prodigal, even when Satan is trying to tempt Jesus, he takes a legitimate need. Jesus has just come off of a 40-day fast. He's like, I know you got to be hungry. Turn those stones into bread. And Jesus says to him, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil was trying to make him miss the mark. And this is what he's doing in your life. For instance, if if you get overwhelmed with feelings of loneliness then you'll try to satisfy that loneliness in an inaccurate way. Adam, for instance. So when the Bible says that Adam was alone, it does not say that Adam was lonely. Adam never once went to God and said, God, I'm lonely. I'm sad. I'm depressed. Why did you make me this way? Why did you do this to me? What am I missing? He never asked God, why am I like this? Why am I by myself? Why am I lonely? God said it wasn't good. Adam never said it wasn't good. And what happens is if you are driven, see, lonely is a emotional state of being. Alone is a physical state of being. And if you are driven by your emotional state of being, you will get outside of what God intended for your life. So he starts to make us dissatisfied this is what could have remember he says to Eve he says see God's God's holding out on you God's holding back on you see this is this is where so many of us get trapped in our relationship with God is we feel like even even when it comes to like if we have a need and God isn't meeting that need, we feel like, God, you have the ability to meet that need and you are not meeting that need. So something must be wrong with me. So the assumption always goes back to. I'm inadequate. What he's given me is inadequate. 
what I have isn't enough. And so we start living our life that way. And, and, <laughs> and we assume that if, if we just have that, then I'll finally be fulfilled. And so he says to her, he says, you know, Eve, God's real problem is this. God's real problem is that if you eat from this tree, he knows you're going to be like him. And in her mind, God is not empty. God is complete. God is whole. God is lacking nothing. And in her attempt to be like God, she sacrificed what she already was. The devil's lying to you because he's promising you that he can give you something that you already have. It's a, it's a counterfeit version of what God wants to give you. Sex isn't bad, but sex outside of God's parameters is a counterfeit version of what God wants to give you. Money isn't bad, but the love of it, the emotion connected to it is the root of all evil. So I would challenge you today, check your dissatisfaction. Have you ever been scrolling online and you were happy? You were having a good day until you started scrolling. And the internet started showing you all of these things that you don't have. <laughs> and it's funny because have you ever noticed that the ads are the things that you are discussing? In your house. I need a vacation. All of a sudden you start seeing vacation. I need a car. All of a sudden you start seeing deals for cars. I need a job. All of a sudden you're like, I need some jewelry. All of a sudden you're like. That's why. Why is that? Because your words are framing your world. And they're listening for you to say what you are missing. Now, I could really use a vacation right now. I'd be a whole lot happier. So it pops up. Oh, that's going to make me happy. Oh, man, I really need some jewelry right now. So they throw it out there. And you click on it. And you scroll and you look at all these pretty things that are that once they come in the mail, they're going to make you happy. And then we scroll and it's not just the ads we see, it's the things that our friends are doing. Have you ever been a part, have you ever been friends with people, but then those friends that you're with get together and they didn't invite you to the thing that they got together around and then they post about it online and you're like, are they even my friends? Do I even have friends? 
does anybody even love me? We are living in one of the most blessed societies in the history of the world. And we are the most mentally unstable society on earth. Why is that? We've allowed ourselves to be so blessed and so discontent at the same time. Wanting what we don't have. Max Lucado wrote a book. He called it the prison of want. He said it's the most populated prison on earth. So he deals in dissatisfaction. And he, and, and he starts, to, this is what he does, says, man, he starts to make the good stuff in our life appear less than and the bad things appear better than they are. So he starts to devalue your marriage and he makes that joker <laughs> who just has a couple smooth little lines. He's such a loser that he, he's sliding into people's DMs on Instagram because he doesn't know how to talk to anybody face to face. But you fall for it. Because the devil makes him look good and the one you're with look bad. So you, you have to recognize it. Where, what are things in your life that used to be miracles but are now normal? Some of us, we prayed for the life we currently have and we are not satisfied with it anymore. You are living in the house of your dreams, and now the house of your dreams is not the house of your dreams anymore. Why? Dissatisfaction. What was once a miracle, what was once appreciated and valued, and you walked into it like, I can't believe this. God is so good. Now we're looking at it like, God, why in the world would you give me something so small? So good things start to look worse. Bad things start to look better. And he uses, he uses people. He, he uses people to, to belittle what you have. To tell you that what you have is not enough. Make you think that what you have is not enough. The enemy would love to even use me to hurt your life and marriage. You know, man, if, I, if my husband just prayed like Pastor Robbie, you don't know my prayer life. <laughs> if my husband just was a man of God like Pat, you don't know me intimately and personally man if he just treated me like monica have you followed us <laughs> behind closed doors for 25 years he'll do it won't he 
Man, if I was just spiritual like Pastor Robbie, if I could just see scripture like Pastor Robbie sees scripture. If you want to see it the way I see it, then you also have to accept the torment (laughs) that I deal with. You don't want anybody else's life because you are not graced to carry anybody else's life. You don't want somebody else's marriage. You don't want somebody else's man. You don't want somebody else's woman. You don't want somebody else's kids. You are not graced to carry that. If God wanted you to have it, he would have gave it to you. So you stop marching around it seven times like it belongs to you. This man is mine in the name of Jesus. This house is mine in the name of Jesus. That happened one time in the Bible and we made it doctrine. Name it, claim it. How far has that got us? People naming and claiming his stuff that doesn't even belong to them. Not even assigned to them. Needs to be a renewal. Listen, there doesn't, we, don't, we don't need a revival of long services and good old preaching and some good old worship. We need a revival of gratitude. So he fights us in our imagination. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. Paul writes, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Any thought that I have that wants to elevate itself above God The Bible says, I take that thought captive. Remember I told you, even with Job, that the devil really didn't destroy his life. Job invited that. Job 3.25, Job says, the thing I feared the most has happened to me. He says... The thing that I was scared would happen, that I was, I was constantly living in fear about, has happened to me. The enemy preys on our fears. So, so fear cannot be tolerated in our life. It can't be accepted. Because the enemy, he, he preys on those fears. So no wonder the devil goes to God and he says, Hey, if you would just take Job's stuff, his relationships... He'll curse you because he has revealed to me through his fears that the thing he is most afraid of is losing his possessions and his people. And if you take it, he'll stop worshiping you because his fear has revealed to me what he really worships. So that's why Proverbs says you got to guard your heart, your heart. Why? Because out of it flow the issues of life. My life is a reflection of what's in my heart. So if, if, if fear is gripping me, again, if I'm so afraid of being alone, then I will be driven to bad relationships. If, if you're in the room today and you're, you're afraid of being exposed... 
oh man, you'll be driven to shame and hiding and isolation and keeping secrets. And there's no freedom in that. And Jesus came to set you free. Free from what? Free from being dissatisfied. Free from putting your heart in places it never was meant to be. Free from giving your peace over to people and to things that were never meant to carry it. Free. Not free to just say no to bad stuff. But free to say yes to better. <laughs> In 2 Timothy 1.7, what does Paul tell Timothy? He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear doesn't mean there won't be times when we won't be afraid. The, the, the language there, spirit of fear, means spirit speaks of control. So he's saying, I, I haven't given you a spirit that controls you, motivates you, manipulates you by fear. I've given you a spirit that has power and love and a sound mind connected to it. So what does the enemy do? He, he, he causes dissatisfaction. Faction, and then ultimately dissatisfaction. What does dissatisfaction lead to? Separation. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he's dissatisfied. He's got all of these emotions that he's feeling. He's growing up. He's feeling like, man, I just need to get out there and do my own thing. I, I'm tired of being constrained by dad's house. I'm tired of these rules. I'm tired of these regulations. I'm tired, tired of dad controlling my life. He's like, I want my inheritance. I want what's coming to me, and I want it now. And the father gives it to him. And he runs out, and the Bible says he spends all of his money on sinful living. It's amazing, isn't it, that as long as he was in the house, he wasn't wild now. This is the ultimate goal of the enemy is to separate you from accountability. So, some of you, your life isn't chaotic, not because you're so great. Your life isn't chaotic because of who you're connected to. And when you get outside of their accountability or their covering, that's why the enemy would like nothing more than for you to get offended in church and leave. Oh, he, he, wants to, he wants to make you mad at the church, mad at leaders, mad at it's just an organization and they don't care. And I don't need a building. Any church isn't a building and blah, 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 blah. And you start to accuse and, and you, you start to line up with the enemy who the Bible says is the accuser of the brethren. So I'd be very careful that you get in step with people that are accusing the church. Okay. Because that's what Satan does. Are there bad people? Yes. Do bad people need to be exposed? Yes. But the church, it's the only thing God is building in the earth. He's not done with the church. He's not like, you know what, it's 2022. You know what, I guess we should just give up that old-fashioned idea of gathering together. And we should just do church completely online now. Let's just forget. No, 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 no. That, that's an emotional response to a current situation. And a lot of people are making final decisions about something that isn't final in their life. Yeah. 
So the goal of the devil is just like, hey, I'd love nothing more than to separate you from your parents, from your pastors, from people, from your bosses, from your friends. Why? Because sometimes the only reason you are not wilding out right now is because you're in the house. As a matter of fact, I think that's why we might have even started Wednesday night services. Because it was like, if you don't do something in the middle of the week, come Friday night, I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) I need to get in the house. That prodigal, as soon as he made it home, order started to be restored in his life. And he had an older brother who was, he stayed in the house. He was frustrated, but he stayed in the house. He had a bad attitude, but he stayed in the house. He wasn't taking advantage of everything that was in the house, but he was in the house. Some of you are like, I need my prodigal son season. You don't have to have one. A lot of people don't come back from that. It's what I do when I'm dissatisfied. Stay in the house. What do I do when I don't like the way life has treated me? Talk to your dad about it. That's what the elder brother did. He went to the father and just complained. The father didn't kick him out because he complained. Didn't call him names because he complained. He just reminded him of everything that he had because he stayed in the house. He said to him, man, you've always been with me. So if you're dissatisfied, audit your emotions. Just because you're really afraid doesn't mean your situation is really scary. Just because you're really offended doesn't mean your situation is really offensive. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the enemy to use the same pattern he has always used from Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus to make us look at our life and say, man, if I just had that then life would be better. So Father, in Jesus' name, we need your help. We need your help because there's so much effort from the world and the systems of this world to separate us. to take us out from under spiritual covering, to take us out from under godly parental covering because it's, it's, just, it's just too many rules, just too much. Oh, man. Not realizing that God isn't trying to take anything from you. He's trying to give something better to you.
So God, we give you those things that are in our hands and in our possession, not because you need it, but because you've got something better in your hand. We open up our hand and we let it go because you have something better that you want to put in our hand. We open up our hand and we let go of that bitterness because you have a better way. We open up our hand and we let go of greed because you have a better way. It's called generosity. We open up our hand and we let go of our anger because you have a better way. It's called forgiveness. Some of us are really holding tightly to that thing we think is going to make life better. But it's a counterfeit. And even if it feels good emotionally, man, nothing feels better. The Bible even says about gossip, it's like a sweet and tasty treat. And nothing feels better than the wrong thing sometimes. So help us to audit our emotions because our emotions will tell us we're right when your word is telling us we are absolutely wrong. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Help us to get familiar with Jaira, the God who provides. If I don't have it, it's because I don't need it. Because if I needed it, he would give it to me. He'd make sure I have it. He would open a door. He would make a way where there seems to be no way. He would, he would open up the fish's mouth and provide. He, he would do whatever he needed to to get me to my place of provision. He, he will provide. I just have to trust him to provide so that I don't start trying to be my provision. And try to become something that I already am. Oh, you'll be like God. No, Eve, you were already made in his image. You are already like him. You're not missing anything. Peter said, you have everything that you need that pertains unto life and godliness. So, Father, we thank you today that we are not in lack, but we serve Jireh, Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord who provides. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.